0: Right, 2 Samuel 13, let's stand tonight for the reading of God's Word, and we'll be looking at the first three verses uh, to begin tonight, uh, but looking at the whole chapter uh, throughout uh, the sermon. The Bible says, and it came to pass after this, that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister, whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her, but Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very subtle man. The title of the message this evening is this, When Lust Brings Death. James 1 tells us, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And tonight, we're going to look at just exactly how lust brought death here in the home of King David. Let's pray. God, tonight, as we look somberly at this passage, help us, Lord, to consider the truths that are here. Lord, there's a lot that we'll cover tonight that uh, may be heavy in nature, but Lord, as we go verse by verse through the Bible... Help us, Lord, to take away from this passage exactly uh, what it is that you have for us. Lord, help each of us to leave here tonight determined to live a life that's pure, a life that's above reproach. May uh, May the sin of lust not grow into a giant that ends up devouring us and others around us. Lord, help me as I preach. Give me the words to say. Hide me behind the cross, Lord, and speak through me, and may each person Uh, be moved by the message tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There may not be a more heartbreaking chapter of Scripture than 2 Samuel 13. We're going to see what the wrecking ball of sin can do to a family. What David had done in the secret of his bedchamber and battlefield is now spilling over into the houses of his adult children. Nathan promised David, back in chapter 12, we looked at it last week, that the sword would not depart from his house. And that very dark prophecy would come to pass just one chapter later. Sin so often is generational. Generational. God's great grace has the power to break generational sin. But when a family, the individuals that make up that family, do not turn to that grace, uh, there can be a deep sin that is passed down the family tree one generation at a time. Who is to blame for the gross sins that take place in this chapter? Is David to blame? Yes, he is. He set a bad example of how to live back in 2 Samuel 11. Bathsheba now lived in David's palace as his wife. And to all of those that beheld Bathsheba, she was a constant reminder of dad's sinful behavior. But is David the only one to blame for what takes place in chapter 13? No, he's not. Is Amnon and Absalom to blame? Yes. Yes. It would be a cop-out for Amnon to point backwards at Dad and say, well, because Dad committed adultery, that gives me the right to rape my half-sister. That would be quite a poor cop-out. Likewise, it would be wrong for Absalom to say, well, Dad killed Uriah, so that gives me the right to kill Amnon because he raped my sister. These boys needed to take, listen now, they needed to take personal responsibility for their own life choices. wasn't enough to say, well, dad did it, so that means I can. Or, because I grew up in, that means I get to, no, no. They needed to own their own life choices. There are so many sinful choices in this one chapter that a single sermon cannot properly address each of them. We're only going to be able to touch on a few of them this evening. I want to say that if you come from a dysfunctional home or are currently living in one, I would strongly encourage you to read, study, and understand 2 Samuel chapters 11 through 17. So, by topic, if I could give you just quickly an index... What are the poor choices that are addressed in 2 Samuel 13? I wrote, let's see, one, two, three, I wrote six of them down here. Uh, Here's here's the first one I see. Sexual lust and sexual abuse. Sexual lust and sexual abuse. The influence of bad friends. We see that with uh, Jonadab. He's going to influence Amnon to commit a a crime and uh, rape his uh, half-sister. What other... Uh, sins are here, we see, or poor choices are here, we see poor parenting. Poor parenting. David did not step up and correct or chasten um, uh, Amnon or Absalom when they committed their sins. So, uh, poor parenting, not chastening a child uh, who has done great sin. Listen, uh, Eli, Eli died an early death because he would not restrain his children when they did wrong. Here's another one, disillusionment over injustice. Absalom sees that his sister has been uh, taken advantage of, abused by uh, his half-brother Amnon, and instead of him... Um, uh, instead of Absalom turning this over to the Lord and letting God be the, uh, the arbiter of truth and justice in Amnon's life, he decides that no, he's going to be disillusioned over the fact that David did nothing and this is going to begin to corrode away at the character and destroy Absalom from the inside out. Then we see vengeance that leads to murder. Absalom later in the chapter is going to kill Amnon for what he did to Tamar. And then the last poor choice I see in this chapter. Is that you have an adult child. Who will not speak to his parents. Absalom and David are not on speaking terms anymore. Because of what's gone down. Now as I said. This is a heavy chapter. Heavy. I feel like the last few uh, Sunday evenings. The sermons have been very heavy. Heavy. But that's on purpose. We're preaching about sin. And we're preaching about very, very bad moral choices. And uh, the reality is that when you or I make very, very poor moral choices, we have a heavy life to live as a result. There are heavy consequences that hang on heavy uh, sexual sins and sins of great moral value. Lying is a sin, but sin is filled with a lie. Let me say that again. Lying is a sin, but all sin is filled with the same lie. Here it is. uh, All sin tells the same lie that if you partake in it, you will be happier as a result. All sin tells the same lie. If you partake in this, you will be happier as a result. Right? The adrenaline rush of doing wrong and thinking you got away with it. You say, oh, well, that's for kids. No, 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 no. Adults do it all the time. Adults do it all the time. I can participate in this sin and I will be happier as a result. All sin tells the same lie. Hebrews tells us that Moses chose not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We know that there is pleasure in sin for a time, but at the end of the day, James chapter 1 is still in the Bible. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Watch this now. Watch this analogy. Lust always merges onto the highway of sin. Sin's highway runs off a sudden bridge, and you fall to your death. Lust always merges you onto the highway of sin. Sin's highway leads to, an, to a, a bridge out of death. Now, you say, well, I've been committing sin since I was born, and, Pastor, I'm still alive. Well, that's a very short sighted of view. Because you're not going to live forever. All of us are going to die, and the reason why we're all going to die is because we sin. And sin brings, ultimately, physical death. But I'm not just talking about the death of your body. Listen, th- that is such a shallow, a um, uh, 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 simple idea of death. Death is far more faceted uh, than just the death of the body. Uh, sin, lust uh, merges you onto the highway of sin, and there's a bridge out called the death of family relationships. How about this one? The death of marriages. How about this one? The death of a career, or the death of someone's sexual autonomy, or the death of someone's emotional well-being, or the death of one's physical health, or death by suicide, or death by murder, or death by self-abuse. When David gave in and called for Bathsheba to come and sleep with him, he pushed over a domino that would wreck his entire family. His lust brought about much sin that led to much death. Turn back to 2 Samuel 12 and look at verse 5 with me. One chapter back. 2 Samuel 12 and verse number 5. The Bible says, "In David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to David, As the Lord liveth, The man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Look at verse 6. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan comes and says, hey look, Uh, we covered it last week. There's a rich man, has lots of sheep. There's a poor man whose neighbor to him has one little ewe lamb who sleeps in his bed with him. That little ewe lamb is his world. And the rich man has friends come visit him and he goes and takes the little ewe lamb away from the poor man and he turns it into dinner for his friends. What should be done to the rich man? And here Nathan says, the man who took that lamb, he should die and he should pay back fourfold. Fourfold. Fourfold? David in some ways prophesied his own punishment. You see, it would be a fourfold punishment that David would face. He would have to face the death of his son that he had with Bathsheba. He would have to face the rape of his daughter Tamar. He would have to face the murder of Amnon. He would have to face his son. He would have to face the death eventually of Absalom. Fourfold. You took another man's wife and killed him. Now you have to pay back fourfold. Lust brings sin. Sin brings death. I believe that parents must be careful about the moral choices they make in both private and public as these sins can quickly become generational and be a wrecking ball through your family for many, many years. I also believe that if your parents made poor moral choices, then those sins can be overcome. They can be overcome by the power of God's great grace. You can overcome. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't. You can. Can overcome. You say, my parents. Uh, I had a dad who was angry all the time, and so I'm angry all the time. You can overcome. Uh, I had a dad who was uh, uh, running around and 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 just uh, with every other woman uh, uh, he could find. You can overcome. I had a mom who drunk all the time. You can overcome by the power of God's great grace. You can change the family tree into a righteous tree that's planted by the river of water that bringeth forth good fruit. You can look at the sin that comes to you over generations and say, it stops with me and my children will grow up and love the Lord and my grandchildren will grow up and love the Lord and my great-grandchildren will grow up and love the Lord because I will not continue to repeat what was handed to me by my family. Let's look at a very hard passage. And before I get into the text, I just have an admission to make. I had a very tough time putting the sermon together. One of the hardest sermons I've ever written right here. I feel like it's October 9th. I have studied the life of David now for right at nine and a half months for Sunday evening sermons. I've read books about David. I've dove into commentaries. I have um, done a lot of reading of history. And I feel like over the last nine and a half months, me and David have become kind of like buddies. I know that might sound funny, all right? But David, I feel like I've become pretty close to David emotionally. And I've known the story of Amnon and Tamar and Absalom since I was a teenager. But can I tell you that as I read this chapter this week, I wept. I felt like my own friend, his family, was falling apart right in front of my eyes. There's nothing I can find in this chapter that's uplifting and positive. In fact, the description of what happens to Tamar is graphic. It's graphic. I've committed to go verse by verse through the Bible, and that's what we're going to do. But boy, it was painful. It was painful for me to read and study. And I think for some of you tonight, the, the message... The verses might make you a little bit uncomfortable, regardless of what I say about them. Just reading them aloud in church might make you uncomfortable. But this is the reality of what happens when we choose lust and when we choose sin. It brings forth death. Let's get into the outline here. Number one, notice Amnon's friend. Amnon's friend. Letter A, we see Amnon's sinful passion. Look with me at verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard For him to do anything to her. So Amnon and Tamar shared the same father, but shared a different mother. They would have been half brother and half sister. Amnon had a guilty pleasure. He had a sexual crush on this half sister of his, Tamar. Most everyone here has had a crush on someone else at some point in your life. If you're married tonight, you're here and you're married, hopefully at some point. Uh, in the dating stages, you had a deep crush on your spouse, all right? Uh, but even the children in the room tonight have all probably at some point had a crush. Do you remember your first crush? Remember your first crush? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to make you say anything, get you in trouble with your spouse. I remember my first crush. I was in the first grade and a little girl came up to me at break time and uh, she was in the second grade. and She said, I just really like you and I want to know if you like me. And I got to tell you, I didn't like her before she said that. But just the fact that a girl showed me attention, man, I was head over heels. And uh, that lasted. That whole romance lasted for just that day. And we got accused of kissing each other behind the tires on the playground. You say, did you kiss her? I did not kiss her. I'll go to the grave saying I didn't kiss her. Angela, I didn't kiss her. I promise, okay? And, um, but just the accusation of it was enough for us not to like each other anymore. And we didn't have anything to do with each other Ever again, but uh, we all can remember that first crush crushes um, uh, when you're little or when you're unmarried crushes are innocent enough Uh, being infatuated with something someone there's not anything necessarily wrong with that Uh, but it needs to be within the right context this was not the right context and this was not an innocent third grade or first grade style crush Amnon's crush was sexual in nature. Uh, He lusted after Tamar because she was beautiful, the Bible says. She was fair to look upon. And uh, it was wrong for many reasons. But number one, the nature of it was sexual. But two, uh, she was related to him. Now, we've all dealt with lust. Everyone here has dealt with lust. We've all felt guilty over lust. Most of us have probably even been so ashamed over our lust that we would never tell the soul of that really awful, dirty thought that we've had at some point in our life. And we thought, oh... I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I dreamed that. I can't believe I imagined that. I would never, ever, ever tell a soul uh, that I felt that or had that desire or let that wicked uh, thought pass through my mind. But Amnon let it go from a wicked thought to a fantasy. It went from being a hidden sin to a verbalized secret with his friend. Letter B, we see Jonadab's scornful plot. We saw first Amnon's... Uh, sinful passion, his sexual lust toward his uh, half-sister, but now we see Jonadab's scornful plot. Look at verse number three, and I would encourage you, especially you uh, teens in the room, if you haven't already done this at a conference, do it now. Underline that first phrase, but Amnon had a friend. But Amnon had a friend. You see, it went from being something he thought hard to do to his sister to now Amnon's friend, Jonadab, is going to convince him to lay out a plan and move forward on his sexual passion toward his sister. Uh, The Bible goes on and says whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. So this is Amnon's cousin. And Jonadab, look here, underline this, was a very subtle man. He was a very subtle man. Now that word subtle is the same word used to describe the beast in Genesis 3 that Satan inhabited. The serpent was a very subtle beast. And uh, here, Jonadab is a very subtle man. Do you know what that means? This, uh, this Jonadab, he was a subtle scorner. He was an expert at getting Amnon to do the unimaginable. Someone once said, show me who your friends are. And show me what you watch on TV. And I'm going to modernize this quote a little bit because this quote came from when I was a teenager. Show me who your friends are and what you watch on TV and what you look at on your phone. And I'll show you who you will be in 10 years. I'll show you who you'll be in 10 years. You show me who your friends are and you show me the media you consume. I'll show you who you're going to be in 10 years. You have to make a choice. You say, oh, well, my friends don't define me. Yes, they do. Absolutely, they do. You have to stop and ask yourself, why did I choose these people to be my friends? And and, and if you're taking notes, let me encourage you to write this down. You chose your friends based upon two facts. Everyone chooses their friends based on two facts. Number one, you choose them based on who you are right now. Who you are right now. You are drawn to people who are like you. The fact that you're here in church on a Sunday night... Thumbs up. You've picked to be around people who want to be like the Lord. That's great. But who do you hang out with outside of church? You choose your friends based on who you are right now. You say, oh, well, they do these sins and I don't do those sins. So, you know, pastor, that's not quite accurate. Okay, well, there's a second factor. Write this one down. Who you want to be tomorrow. You choose your friends based on who you want to be tomorrow. You might have friends that are more godly than you. Praise the Lord. That means you aspire to be more godly. You might have friends that are more sinful than you. That's not good. That means you want to be more sinful or you wouldn't hang around them. There's something in them that you admire that causes you to keep coming back and hanging around them and being with them. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you have friends that drink or do drugs or uh, run with the wrong crowd or use foul language or uh, are out of church and you run, a lo- run with them long enough, eventually you're going to become those friends. The adage is, birds of a feather, they do what? They flock together. And uh, that old adage holds true. And as for for the, the history of mankind, if Jonadab had been a righteous friend, he would have counseled Amnon off of the proverbial ledge. Oh, Amnon, I'm so sorry that uh, you're having these desires toward your half-sister. Hey, you know what? Let's not do that. That's not good. But Jonadab was a wicked, wicked friend. And he would help Amnon commit a great and evil sin against his half-sister. Look at verse 4. And he said unto him, this is Jonadab speaking to Amnon, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? All right, clearly you're troubled, Amnon. You're not eating. What's going on? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, here's where that wicked thought becomes a verbalized secret, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, here's the scornful plot, lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, Say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat, and dress the meat in my sight, that I may see it and eat it at her hand. Amnon, Amnon's lust had led to a fantasy that had led to a vocalization that had now led to a scornful plot to hurt Tamar deeply, Amnon's friend. I want to ask this before I move on to point two. Who are your friends? And I am talking about the people that you see on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, but I am also talking about the people that you let influence you online. There's a reason why Facebook calls them friends. People you never met, you become friends with online. If you're not careful... These, as they label themselves, social media influencers will move your heart subtly and slowly away from God. Who are your friends? If your friends are making, pushing you to be more like Christ, hey, that's great. Good friends. If your friends are pulling you away from the Lord, it might be time to be friendly with them without being close with them. Amnon's friends. Number two, Amnon's foolishness. Amnon's foolishness. Letter A, notice his abuse of Tamar. His abuse of Tamar. Look with me at verse number 6. This is a hard passage to read. So Amnon lay down and made himself sick. And when the king was come to see him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat at her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him meat. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house. And he was laid down. And she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight, and did bake the cakes. And she took a pan and poured them out before him. But he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have out all men from me. They went out every man from him. And Amnon said unto Tamar, Bring the meat into the chamber that I may eat of thine hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. And When she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come, lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, Nay, my brother, do not force me. Look at this. For no such thing ought to be done in Israel Do not thou this folly. And I whither shall I cause my shame to go. And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. Howbeit, he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. Did you catch the last thing that Tamar said? Most likely in tears, most likely shrilling and screaming right before she was raped. She said, if you would just go to dad and ask, he'd probably let you have me. Now, was this just a desperate attempt by Tamar to get Amnon to back off? Maybe. 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 Was this true? Would have David just said, Okay, Amnon, you can marry Tamar. Amnon, you can be with your sister Tamar. You have my blessing. Would have David actually given his blessing on that? It is quite possible. It's quite possible. You think that is weird. And I would agree with you. By our cultural standards, that is strange. Strange. I would even see by biblical standards that is morally wrong. However, there are all kinds of sin going on in this palace. David's already in polygamous marriages. And we know throughout history that amongst royal blue bloods that there was all kinds of incest that took place. And so, is it possible that David would have let Amnon and Tamar be an item, be a couple? That's quite possible. All the same, lust doesn't care about logic. Write that down. Lust doesn't care... About logic, it just doesn't care. You can sit here and talk to me until you're blue in the face and I'm blue in the face, and we can come to all kinds of agreement that lust is wrong and you shouldn't look at someone else with lust, you shouldn't want someone out of lust, Uh, you shouldn't, uh, ladies, look at another man's husband and compare your husband to him and say, "I wish my husband was more like such and such in the church," and uh, boy, I wish my wife uh, would, would, would take care of herself a little bit better, like Sister such and such in the church, and. Listen, uh, you can. we can talk all day about how that stuff is wrong, and in the moment, we would all agree with that, but when hormones get involved, logic goes out the door. When hormones get involved, truth just leaves the room. Lust doesn't care about logic. It just doesn't. You can know that you you go off and have an affair with someone that your whole marriage is going to fall apart. And your kids are going to uh, uh, not respect you as much. But in that moment when hormones run high, you're willing to throw it all away for just a foolish five minutes of pleasure. Amnon did something horrible because his lustful flesh said I have to have it right now he became so infatuated that unless he had that he wasn't going to stop and he would not be denied letter A we see his abuse of Tamar poor Tamar she really is the victim in all this letter B we see his animus toward Tamar look at verse number 15 The Bible says, then Amnon hated her exceedingly. And I have that underlined in my Bible. I'll come back to that in just a moment. So that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone. And she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. Now, that statement perplexed me until I did some digging. I'll explain that in a moment. Let's keep reading for for right now. But he would not hearken unto her. So uh, he has raped her, and uh, she's still in his bedroom, and he's telling her to leave, and she will not leave. Then he called his servant that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. And she had a garment of diverse colors upon her, for with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins appareled. Then his servant got her out and bolted the door after her. Oh, well, that's, that's bizarre. Amnon got what he wanted and then realized that he didn't want it at all. This is the ultimate test of lust. Versus love. You see, when you're lusting after something or someone, and you finally take it. I didn't say get it. I said take it. Because that's what lust does. It takes. It steals. It robs. When you finally take it, you'll hate it afterwards. You'll hate it. But if you truly love something or someone, then you'll wait until the right time, you'll wait for the right place, and you'll wait for God's favor. And then when you get it, you'll truly enjoy it. You'll truly enjoy it. A good way to know whether it is lust or love is did you take it before it was time? And if you did, you're probably not going to like it afterwards. If you waited for God's timing and you did it God's way and you get it, you're going to cherish it and protect it as long as it belongs to you. The flesh wants many things. This is lust. Lust is the cause of rape. But lust is the cause of many other things that harm us and others, harm us and others on a lesser scale. Let me give you a few examples, This is less heavy. Uh, but still yet true of the flesh. Uh, That eating binge that you go on will leave you feeling guilty. And you know what happens? Watch this now. You hate the very food that you could not help but have. I had to have it. But then after it's in your system, you hate it. Isn't that what Amnon did with Tamar? He had to have her. And then he took her and then he hated her. You lust after clothes or some collector item that you have to have and you really can't afford. So you swipe a credit card to buy it, even though you can't afford it, and then you end up hating the very items that are sitting in your closet collecting dust. Sex outside of marriage leaves the soul feeling empty and angry because this is done out of lust, not love. Have you ever stopped and wondered why so many men kill the woman that they just violated and raped? Because they hate the very object of their lust. You see, God's way is love. But our sinful hearts want the same things through lust. Lust abuses what love appreciates. Lust abuses what love appreciates. Love will say, Listen, God uh, gave me food to eat, and I appreciate the food that God gave me, and I'm going to eat it in a way that's healthy. And balanced, and when I get through eating, I'm going to have thoroughly enjoyed that food, and I'm not going to hate it because I didn't binge eat. Uh Love lust says, "Give it to me now! I want more than I should put in my body, and I want things that are not healthy for me, and then I will hate it afterwards." Love says you know what, God made uh, me and God made the opposite gender and in God's time, in God's way, in God's uh, uh, the right person, I'm going to fall in love and I'm going to marry them and I'm going to enjoy all of the benefits of being married. Lust says, I don't want to wait for marriage. Give it to me right now. And this in part is what makes pornography so wrong. Because it short circuits God's plan for for, for procreation and pleasure in marriage. It's, I don't want to wait. My flesh wants it. I'm going to take it right now. Only to feel shame. Only to feel regret. Only to feel disgust. It's not in God's timing. We see his animus toward Tamar. Now, let me go back to that phrase there. Look back at verse 16. She says, There is no cause. Look here. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. Now, I had to look into this. Because I, I'm i sitting there thinking, Tamar, this man just took advantage of you. He just abused you. Now, why are you trying to, you know, be with him and not let him kick you out of the room or out of his life? And here's what I found. You go back into the Levitical law, if you... Uh, if you uh, Forced a woman, I'm I'm trying to be careful here. You forced a woman um, who was betrothed in marriage, then you would be stoned to death. All right? But if you forced a woman who was a virgin and not betrothed in marriage, then the law was that you were forced to marry her and take care of her the rest of your life. And someone would say, well, that sounds awful for the woman. And I would agree with that. But you have to understand, we're studying the Bible in context of the culture of that day. And in the biblical day, like it or hate it, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just sharing what, what, what was then. Uh, women were treated more like property. And uh, women were not able to provide for themselves in Bible times. And so they were de- dependent upon a man, or they, uh, a husband, or a father, or a brother, or a son. If they were widowed, to provide for them, because there was no place in a works, uh, there was no uh, job in a workplace for a woman. And a woman that was not a virgin, uh, it was a whole lot harder for her to find a husband to marry, because virginity and sexual purity was greatly valued. And so now Tamar has had her virginity taken from her. She knows how much harder it's going to be for her to get married and uh, take care of herself. And so she says to Amnon, you're not going to put me away. No, you've done this to me. Now you are obligated to take care of me for the rest of your life. And Amnon says, nope, I'm not doing it. Get out of here. Leave. And when she wouldn't leave, he had his servant come in, drag her out, and bolt the door behind. Amnon, he's, he's committed a horrible, horrible sin. Number three, next notice, Absalom's fury. Absalom's fury. Tamar had a brother by the same mother and father named Absalom. And as we will see, this did not settle well with Absalom. What had happened to his sister Boy, it, it's going to its going to lead to, boy, all hell is about to break loose through Absalom. Letter A, we see the venom of injustice. The venom of injustice. Look with me at verse 19. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garments of diverse colors, of diverse colors. That was on her. And laid her hand on her head and went on crying. And Absalom her brother said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? But uh, hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard all these things, he was very wroth. And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Do you know why Absalom told Tamar to hold her peace and regard not this thing? I'm going to tell you why. Because he fully expected his father to step in and punish Amnon. Look back at verse 21. It says, But when David heard of all all these things, he was very wroth. David got angry over what Amnon did to his daughter, But he didn't punish Amnon in any way. He didn't punish his son for what happened to his daughter. You ask, well, why not? Well, David didn't exactly have the best moral ground to stand on, now did he? But all the same, David and Bathsheba had a consensual relationship. At least that's my opinion. And what Amnon had done was wrong on a whole other tier. And David did nothing about it. Did David have grounds to punish Amnon? I think he did. I think he did. If Amnon said, well, what did you do with Bathsheba? David could look back at Amnon and say, well, I didn't rape her. What you did was criminal. Well, yeah, but you murdered Uriah. Yeah, and God punished me for that. And you know what? I'm the arbiter of punishment in your life. Buddy, you're going to get it. David was angry over what happened, but he did nothing about it. He did nothing to Amnon. If there is a character in the story with whom I can relate with the most, it is Absalom. If someone did this to my sister, I've got two of them. Well, I'm going to tell you, I can completely get where Absalom's coming from. How many of you agree with me on that? You can see why he'd be so upset. This is injustice. Amnon hurt Tamar and nothing happened to Amnon. When injustice takes place in our lives, it is very easy to let the poison of disillusionment slip into our spiritual bloodstream. But this is dangerous. And this will lead to an embittered heart. Absalom would become a cold-hearted and angry man that would end up committing some very, very, very dark and gruesome sins. Uh, listen, when there are injustices that happen to you or people you love, you have to learn to give those over to the Lord. You have to learn uh, to say, Lord, you punish where uh, where humans are not punishing wrongdoing. You punish and help me to trust your hand. Injustice happened Absalom did not handle that correctly, and now the venom, the poison of injustice has slipped into his system. it is going to end up destroying Absalom, but not before he destroys and hurts many people. Let her be we see the vengeance of iniquity, the vengeance of iniquity. look at verse twenty three and it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal Hazor, which is beside Ephraim and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Now, just for some context here, uh, when you sheared the sheep, there would always be a big celebration, and they would throw a big party, all right? Uh, like We have all kinds of things we throw parties for in our culture. One of the things they would throw a a party for in the uh, old Bible times and and the culture here was when they would do the sheep shearing, they would have a big party, and they'd invite a bunch of people over, and, and they'd have a great time with it, okay? So two years has passed since what happened to Tamar, And uh, Absalom now is having his sheep shorn, and so he's going to invite the king's sons to come over for this celebration. Look back at 24, and Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now thy servant hath sheep shears, let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant." So he invites David and uh, all of the palace, and the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he, Absalom, pressed him, David. Howbeit, David, he would not go, but blessed him. Then said Absalom, If not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, Why should he go with thee? But Absalom pressed him, that he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now, uh, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say unto you, Smite Amnon. Then kill him. Fear not. Have not I commanded you. Be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and every man got him up upon his mule and fled. And it came to pass, while they were in the way, that tidings came to David, saying, Absalom hath slain all the king's sons, and there is not one of them left. Then the king arose and tear his garments and lay on the earth, and all the servants stood by with their clothes rent. And Jonadab, funny, Jonadab shows back up in verse 32, but Amnon is now dead. Jonadab's alive. More about that in a minute. Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose that they have slain all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon only is dead. I wonder how Jonadab knew that. For by the appointment of Absalom, this hath been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, let not my lord, the king, take uh, the thing to heart. To think that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon only is dead. Someone once said, vengeance is a dish best served cold. Vengeance is a dish best served cold. And that's exactly what happened here. Amnon did not retaliate. He waited two years for the dust to settle. And he did not forget about what it done. He let the emotions of the moment subside. And then he convinced David to let all the king's son go to this festival. And then uh, when Amnon was drunk, he ordered to have him murdered. Did Amnon deserve to die for what he did did to Tamar? An argument could be made for that for sure. All right? My flesh would say, yes, he deserved to die. What a horrible thing he did to Tamar. At the least, he should have been financially supporting Tamar for the rest of her life since he had taken her virginity from her. And then David did nothing about it. So Absalom took vengeance into his own hands. Who does vengeance belong to? Church it belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to us. I know we all grew up, us men in here. We all grew up watching Batman and Superman, right? Da da da, da right? Flying and and uh, Spider Man. Little kids today like Spider Man. You know what? We like these vigilantes that run around and do what the justice system can't. But you know what? That is anti biblical. It is God's duty to make up where uh, government falls short. And uh, if you are a parent, uh, you're a boss, you have some God-given authority, then by all means execute that. But if it's outside of your, um, your purview of authority, then you have to leave it in God's hands. Did Absalom do that? No. He decided that Amnon deserved to die, and since David would do nothing about it, that Absalom would step up and kill Amnon. David's sin through inaction did not give Absalom the right to sin through action. David's sin through inaction did not give Absalom the right to sin with action. Number four, lastly, notice Absalom's flight. Absalom's flight. And this is where we uh, come to uh, the uh, introduction or the beginning of the sermon, Lust Brings Death. Notice letter A, the sorrow of sin. The sorrow of sin. Look at verse 34. But Absalom fled, and the young man that kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there came much people by the way of the hillside behind him. Jonadab said unto the king, Behold, the king's son came, and as thy servant said, so it is. And it came to pass, as soon as he had made an end of speaking, that behold, the king's sons came, and lifted up their voice, and wept. And the king also and all the servants wept very sore. Here we find old Jonadab. Jonadab's played both sides here. He talked Amnon into doing the horrible abuse to Tamar. And then he buddied up with Absalom and was probably part of the conspiracy that killed Amnon. And now he's standing at David's side. And he's the one telling David, before the king's sons even arrived, don't worry, all the sons didn't die. It was just Amnon. And by the way, David, you know Amnon had it coming. Folks, stay away from a man like that. That guy's no good. What are the king's sons doing here? They're weeping. They just watched their brother get murdered in cold blood. They went there to a festival to have a good time, and they watched their brother get murdered in cold blood. You know what sin does? It brings sorrow. Pastor Lejeune, the sermon tonight has been heavy. Yeah, I know it has. It's been very heavy. Because we're talking about sin. And you know what sin does? It weighs all of us down. Stay away from lust. Stay away from sin. And you don't get to point at all the problems in your life and say, well, it's because of this, and it's because of that. And you yourself won't deal with the own lust that run unchecked through your body. Uncheck through your life. Get that lust under control. Ask God to give you victory. Get with a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord and ask them confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Why? Because sin left unchecked merges you on or lust merges you onto the highway of sin that runs you fastly uh, quickly off the bridge of death. The sorrow of sin, letter B, we see The separation of sin. Look at 37. But Absalom fled and went to Telmai, the son of Imahud, king of Gesher. If you go back and look in in the Scriptures, you know that Absalom's mother is the daughter of the king of Gesher. So he runs to the king of Gesher. He's going to his grandparents' house. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Gesher and was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth into Absalom. For he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. And this is where sin leads every single time. Tamar has been raped. Amnon has been killed. And Absalom has run to his mother's parents' kingdom to hide. David is left with a sorrowful heart. I said Wednesday night, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you far more than you want to pay. David, if I could go back in a time machine and sit with David at the conclusion of chapter 13, David, how is your relationship with Tamar? How about your relationship with Absalom? Tell me, David, about your relationship with Amnon. Strained or non-existent in all three cases. Why? Because lust has brought about sin. And sin has brought about death. I want to ask you a question tonight. What sin have you been playing with? what sin have you been given through your family lineage that you've let to just ride through well i i, I can't help it because dad and granddad and great granddad mom and grandma and listen it's got to stop somewhere it's got to stop somewhere it's time for you to slay the giants of immorality and pass on a lineage of godliness and purity. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I have tried to strike the tenor of the passage. It's been a heavy sermon because the chapter is a very heavy chapter. But tonight, why don't we each ask God to help us? Smite the giants of sin that exist in our hearts. The songwriter said, Search me, O God. Why don't we ask God to do that in our hearts tonight? You see, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little lusts that turn into the big lusts that end up destroying homes, wrecking lives, leading to divorce, loss of career, loss of relationships. We don't deal with these things when they're little. They become great, big, mighty sins that... Tear apart homes and hurt children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. If you've been hurt, I want to remind you God's grace can help you to overcome. But you must make a choice. You must make a choice to live inside of God's grace. Lord, tonight, would you help us to get real with the little sins in our lives? May we battle them. May we overcome them. May we avoid foolish friends, subtle friends that would lead us astray. Lord, there are so many ways you could have worked in Hearts tonight, through the preaching and reading of your word. Spirit of God, you do your part. Convict, comfort, and Lord, help us to come clean. Help us to live a lifestyle that's godly. In Jesus' name.